Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis, aka crumbly joints. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you have come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Joint Action. This week we have the privilege of discussing is osteoarthritis an inevitable part of aging? And we're joined by none other than Richard Loso. Rich is the Herman and Louise Smith Distinguished Professor of Medicine in the Division of Rheumatology, Allergy and Immunology and the Director of the Thurston Arthritis Research Center at the University of North Carolina in the US. His research interests include cartilage cell biology, cell signaling, aging and the development of osteoarthritis and also has a particular interest in osteoarthritis interventions including exercise and weight loss. So Rich, thank you very much for coming along. Great pleasure to have you here. Yeah, happy to do it. Yeah, it's a strange time in the world, as we were saying before you got on the call, but how are things going in your medical center there in the U.S.? Well, I think we're fortunate here in Chapel Hill. We have a less population-dense area, and so we haven't seen as many cases in, in our direct area as in other parts of the United States or even in other parts of North Carolina, such as Charlotte, which is a much bigger city. That's where most concentrated cases are, are here in North Carolina. Yeah. In terms of medical services, what are they doing as far as medical services are concerned? If patients need to come to the hospital or need to go to the clinic, what happens? Well, so for the outpatients, they're really trying to help keep people at home. So they're doing as many video visits as possible. And the patients that really need to be seen physically, those are the ones that are coming into clinic. But by reducing the number of people coming to clinic, that will help you know reduce contacts and potential spread of the virus. And I think we're learning a lot about how we could do video visits, and we might be doing 
more of them when this is all um, over with. Yeah, I think in many ways, it's a lot more efficient for, for both parties concerned. You know, if you can save save a patient traveling to and from the clinic and, you know, it's a brief follow-up visit that they can just get advice over the, over the video or over the phone, it's probably a lot easier right. for them and potentially a lot easier for us as well. Yes, so, yes. And what's it, what's, what impact has it had on your research work? My research has really come to a, uh, a halt just about because um, our campus is closed right now. And the only people that can come onto campus and work in, say, the research labs, which is where most of my research is done, are people that are taking care of animals, for example, that, that need to be looked after. Most of the other type of research that we do has to be put on hold until people can come back on campus again. Yeah, so it's having a huge impact, isn't it? Can you tell me a little bit more about the type of research work that you do? Sure. So... As a lot of people know, we don't have treatments that directly affect the osteoarthritis disease process. We have um, medications that are used to help reduce pain and then interventions such as exercise and weight loss that are help. But we really lack treatments that directly target the disease process to either stop it or slow it from progressing. And so my interest for the last 30 years, actually, now that I've been thinking about it, it's been 30 years, has really been to try to understand the basic biology of osteoarthritis, why it progresses, what are factors that we might target for new therapies, and in particular, how aging is related to osteoarthritis, since this is the condition we see more commonly in older adults. What is the aging component and could that be something that might be targeted um, with specific interventions? I can't believe, given you look so young, that it's uh, been 30 years, Rich, but um, I'm sure it's flown by in, in no time. But if you had to yeah. describe yourself in five words, what would they be? So five words. Dedicated researcher, uh, husband, father, and recently grandfather. Oh, congratulations. That's fantastic news. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Uh, Oh, that's brilliant. All right. So digging into, I guess, one of your main research areas, uh, which is is really looking at aging um, and, its and its consequences for osteoarthritis. Is osteoarthritis just a disease of old persons? No, it, it's not. It's definitely more common in older adults, and it's not a condition that you see in children. But um, young adults can develop osteoarthritis as well, particularly after a joint injury. So say, you know, a teenager who tears her ACL playing soccer, she may develop osteoarthritis in her late 20s, early 30s. And so depending on risk factors, you can see it in, in adults of all ages, although obviously it is it's much more common in, in older adults overall. Yeah, yeah. And so with, with that in mind, obviously life expectancy is increasing. We're seeing a lot more centenarian, centenarians. Is if you live long enough, is osteoarthritis inevitable? No, not everybody develops osteoarthritis. Uh, there have been some studies looking at groups of people over the age of 85. And even in that older age group, you may find up to 20% or even 30% of people that don't have symptomatic osteoarthritis. And I think it's important to understand the difference between having osteoarthritis and symptoms 
versus someone just doing an x-ray and saying you've got osteoarthritis based on the x-ray because the radiographic findings of osteoarthritis are more common than the symptomatic osteoarthritis. So in older adults, um, you do see more radiographic OA, even not everybody, but, but definitely you would see more than, the, than people with symptoms in OA. Yeah, and really just to emphasize uh, Richard's point there, I mean, I think the key thing here is pain matters. Uh, what, what is on the x-ray is not as important as what a person is experiencing. And so just because you've got osteoarthritis on an x-ray doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get pain related to right. that. Um, and so some commonly used terms that oftentimes radiologists and other clinicians who are describing this disease use is wear and tear, degenerative osteoarthrosis, are they accurate descriptors of this disease? I mean, some of them have age-related connotations, but should we should we be using them? I really don't like the use of the term wear and tear. And I think it was used a lot in the past, and it had negative consequences on the understanding of osteoarthritis. Because if you think about your joint being something like an automobile tire that just wears out over time, you know, as you use it, it wears down. And that's what you're left with. Well, if you think of the osteoarthritis as being that type of a wear and tear condition, it means there's nothing you can do about it. But the big difference between your joints and an automobile tire is that your joints are made up of living tissues. And so it's the tissues themselves that are changing and developing osteoarthritis, meaning that it's not just simply a wearing down, but the cells within the tissue are releasing factors that cause the breakdown of the tissue. And so if you understand that, you can come up with new treatments for osteoarthritis. But if you think of it as just your tires are worn out, you need a new tire, which could be a joint replacement, well, then that's all you're going to ever have to treat osteoarthritis is joint replacements. Um, so I think the concept of wear and tear arthritis held back people from being even interested in doing osteoarthritis uh, research because if it's just wear and tear and you can't do anything about it, why waste your time, you know, studying it? Yeah, for someone yeah. like for someone like yourself, who's obviously been focused on that area for you know, a long part of your research life, particularly cell signaling and cell biology and the function of cells. Um, right. If this were just a wear and tear process, it would diminish the, the the importance of the valuable work that you've been doing too, right? Right, right. Yes, and I mean, I think, and it doesn't give hope to patients if they think that, well, my joint's just wearing out, nothing I can do about it, just when it's time, I'll get my joint replaced, and I don't, I don't think that that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And so when you, when you dig into aging, what specifically about aging contributes to um, the onset and development of osteoarthritis? Well, I, th I think there's a number of factors, and you can think of them as factors that affect your entire body with aging, and then factors that affect joint tissue specifically. So as we age, we lose muscle strength, and you know that's common to all the muscles in our body, and the loss of muscle strength with aging may be playing a, a, a role in this in terms of changing the way that joints are loaded, Muscles are important in helping to support the joints as we use them. And if they become weaker with aging, then that'll affect your joints. You know, we tend to become 
more overweight with age and less active with age, and that's not beneficial for your joints. And then there are other things that change with age that are more specific to the tissues. And so for like within the joint, the cartilage becomes more brittle with age. And then the cells within the joint tissues, cartilage, meniscus, synovium, as the cells age, they start to produce more inflammatory factors. And those inflammatory factors play a role in the breakdown of the tissue. And that's been given a name recently due to its tie into cell senescence. And senescence just is a, another term for aging. It's called the senescence-associated secretory phenotype. And sounds like a complicated term. Some people just call it SASP. But basically what it is is your cells age and become senescent. They produce these inflammatory mediators. And those inflammatory mediators are contributing to the destruction of the joint tissues and so I think by understanding what's causing cells to become senescent and what makes them produce these factors, we'll have new ways of treating osteoarthritis. So just re recapping that a little bit. So if we're, if we're thinking very much about muscle strength, deconditioning of the, of the skeleton, brittleness of, of cartilage, changes in body composition and aging of cells, is there anything people that have a predisposition to osteoarthritis or early osteoarthritis can do to modify that course themselves? I think, and you know, lots of people have worked in this area that staying active is probably the best thing you can do for yourself. It's good for your muscles, good for your joints. You know, your joints require normal motion to stay healthy. And so I think regular activity and exercise is probably the number one thing that you can do for yourself to help reduce your chances of getting osteoarthritis or reduce it from being as severe as it might be and help with pain as well. Yeah, yeah, no, brilliant, very thoughtful advice. And so not sure whether this necessarily relates to the, uh, the SASP that you were referring to before, the, uh, the aging senescent cells, but what is, there's a, a term that's bandied around called inflammaging, so aging and inflammation. What is right. that? So it is partly related to the SASP. So it's been shown that as we age, our body produces more of these inflammatory factors at sort of a low level. So it's not the type of inflammation you see when you, know, you have a severe infection um, or a severe wound. It's sort of a low-grade chronic inflammation. And it's throughout the body, so it's not just in your joints, but you can measure factors in the blood, things called cytokines, that slowly go up as we get older. And so it's this inflammatory state that's associated with aging that's been termed inflammaging. And it, it's probably in part related to these senescent cells that are accumulating in our bodies that are making these inflammatory factors. And again, you know, from a therapeutic perspective or a modifiable perspective, is there anything that people have who have osteoarthritis or, or from a therapeutic development perspective that they can do about that? Well, in terms of therapies, there is actually a very active area of research into drugs that are called synolytics. And synolytics are being developed that would specifically kill these senescent cells and leave the normal healthy cells alone. 
and it's felt that by reducing the number of senescent cells in your body, that a number of different aging-related conditions could benefit. And osteoarthritis is one that's being studied. And for osteoarthritis, the advantage is that the treatments that are being developed could be injected directly into the affected joint and potentially have less uh, side effects than something that might affect all the cells in your entire body. So intra-articular injections of synolytics are sort of in early phase studies. And if, if those turn out to be of benefit, I think that'll be a new novel way of treating osteoarthritis. And for those senescent, those aging cells, is their contribution solely deleterious? Do they have any beneficial effects while they're still there potentially aging such that elimination, elimination could be a problem? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So there is this balance between senescence and cancer. And so one of the reasons why cells are thought to become senescent is there's been damage that's done to the cell that might lead them to become cancerous. And if you turn on this senescence program, the cells can no longer divide and cell division is necessary for cancer. So in part, senescence is thought to be a way that the body protects itself from cancer. And so it does have a benefit. And the other thing it seems to be involved in is tissue repair and wound healing. And so when there's a wound, there's some senescent cells that are present in the wound that seem to be important in the healing process. And so that's why the, the targets would be specific senescent cells and tissues rather than, say, trying to kill all the senescent cells in your entire body. That probably not, would not be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. That's a, fasc a fascinating area. So there's a lot of people out there in the general community who are very interested in, I guess, reducing the effects of aging, reducing the effects of disease, who take a lot of over-the-counter complementary and other types of medicines, including a lot of people who take antioxidants. What, right. um, what role does oxidation play in osteoarthritis and is there a strong motivation to take antioxidants? Well, oxidation does seem to be playing a role in osteoarthritis. There are two ways in which elevated levels of what we call reactive oxygen species or free radicals, two ways in which they might contribute to osteoarthritis, they directly damage proteins um, within cells. But also, when these levels of free radicals become elevated within cells, it alters their signaling. So they don't respond normally to things that might stimulate growth, like growth factors, something called insulin-like growth factor. So the elevated levels of these free radicals alter the way cells respond to positive signals and promote their response to sort of the negative signals, signals that would, would cause damage to the joint. So we're beginning to understand what their effects are. The problem with antioxidants is that they're very nonspecific and the levels that you ingest don't appear to get to the cells where they really need to have an effect. And because they're not specific for the types of oxidation that seem to be important in aging, overall, they haven't been shown to have any benefit. So they've been, they've been studied in a number of different age-related diseases and, and don't seem to have any, any true benefit. So the idea 
for our work and other people in this area is we'll find out directly what these excess levels of oxidants are doing and target that rather than just trying to blanket the whole thing by taking antioxidants because that so far has not been successful. I mean, you mentioned the the cells targeted type therapies for aging senescent cells, that there's a obviously an active area of therapeutic development going on there at the moment. Mm-hmm. Are there any other specific therapeutic development areas that you think are really important, novel, and potentially really promising targeting aging specifically in the context of osteoarthritis? Well, I think um, the other areas that, that I am familiar with that are further along are not directly targeting aging, but they're targeting some of the effects of aging. So, for example, there's a growth factor, FGF18, that's being developed as a potential therapy that you would inject in the joint. This is a growth factor that would stimulate cells, including the chondrocytes and the meniscus, to um, be more what we call anabolic. And one of the things that changes with aging is the cells are less anabolic. They're less able to produce tissue. And so indirectly, it's, it's targeting something that's altered with aging, but it's not targeting the aging process itself. Yeah, no, that's, that's really important. And so for those of you who want to know what chondrocytes are, they're, they're basically the cartilage cells and anabolic processes that are essentially growing and repairing tissues. What wasn't I smart enough to ask you about that I should have asked you about, Rich? That's a great question. You know, we didn't talk too much about obesity and body weight, and it's not because you're not smart enough. Um, (laughs) You probably talked to uh, one of my colleagues about that already, too. But I think in terms of the aging side of that, it's worth discussing because, you know, as we age, our adipose tissue does seem to build up as we're losing muscle in particular. That's, that's, That's fatty tissue, yeah. Yeah, and the inflammation that we discussed, part of the inflammation seems to be coming from an increased amount of fat relative to muscle because fat is inflammatory and it can produce factors that are released into your bloodstream. And so that's playing a component in inflammation. And so that's why weight loss combined with exercise, you know, is of benefit because sort of has a two-pronged effect, you know, reducing this inflammatory fat and also building building muscles and keeping your joints active by moving them. Yeah, and so uh, Richard's been pivotal in working on those studies with um, our friend and colleague Steve Messier at Wake Forest and has demonstrated in trials the contribution of those inflammatory factors, particularly cytokines, uh, from, from fat. And when you lose weight, uh, you can reduce the level of the inflammation. It obviously has a, has a positive beneficial effect on on the disease, on the symptoms, and, and on, on ongoing health as well. Um, right. Any- and the factor that's associated the strongest with inflammation, it's called interleukin-6. It's a cytokine in the blood. And we showed in our studies, as you lose weight and you lose fat, the interleukin-6 levels come down. So there's a direct connection there. Yeah, no, it's really, really very valuable. So, Rich, are there any patient-friendly resources that you think you'd like to share that could shed further light on this topic itself? Sure. You know, for aging in particular, in the United States at least, we have what's called the National Institute on Aging, and they have resources on their website 
that specifically talk about aging, but it mentions osteoarthritis. So I think it's good information and they have some patient-friendly information. And in particular, I think it's important for older adults not to be fooled by a lot of, you know, these complementary alternative therapies that are being promoted that say, oh, we stop aging, or if you take growth hormone, growth hormone is the cure to aging, the fountain of youth, and and the National Institute on Aging tries to have some information about that, because I think a lot of money has been wasted, and potential side effects occur from people that are taking some of these complementary medicines that are specifically touted to be sort of the fountain of youth. The Osteoarthritis Action Alliance is a, is another group that has a lot of patient-friendly information, and they have some some information on there as well but about aging, but a lot of it is, is just general information about osteoarthritis that I think can be really useful. That's brilliant. And uh, we'll include the links to those in the, in the show notes themselves. So what's, Richard, the biggest challenge you have within your role right now and how are you going to overcome it? And I'm not thinking coronavirus related. I'm thinking about your your research work specifically. I think it's finding enough time to do everything I want to do. <laughs> um, you know, I'm trying to stay healthy and uh, I'm a runner and I try to run when I can, exercise, get enough sleep. So doing that and spending time with my family and then doing as much of research as I want to do there's just not enough hours in the day. So have to find a way to balance everything. Yeah, balance is tough. And, if, and when, right. you find, when you find out that magical answer, uh, make sure you let me know. Yeah. yeah, it seems like moderation is is sort of the key. You know, you have to be moderate in what you're doing and you can accomplish Yeah, and I think particularly, particularly at times like this where, you know, we're home a lot more, I think that mm-hmm. uh, the positive influence and the importance of, family and lifestyle is um, so, so incredibly important. If you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? I would really like to make a contribution to a new therapy that would slow the progression of osteoarthritis, because I think that's just very important for our public health worldwide. You know, osteoarthritis is the number one cause of disability in older adults. And our populations are aging, and we're going to see more and more people with osteoarthritis in the future. And we really desperately need something that would directly affect the disease process. So if I could make a contribution to that, I would really feel like I had a successful career. And hopefully we can do some of that together too, Rich, because it's uh, it's a really important goal to attain. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be something that's going to require a team of investigators. And I think that's to me, the more exciting thing over the last 10 or so years, I've seen the number of people that are working in osteoarthritis has really taken off. And a lot more research is being published in this area. And that's what will really help us you know, move closer to new treatments is just having the critical mass of people that are interested in, in working in this. And it's, it's international. They're great researchers in Australia, United States, Europe, I mean, it's, it's a very international effort these days, which is, has been fantastic and also makes it fun. No, it's a great time to be involved, and I, I really share your excitement and enthusiasm as well. If you could remove all the barriers and constraints, what project would you do? Well, there's a project I'm trying to get funded, and, uh, you know, it, the barrier right now is that um, 
having a large clinical trial funded is a challenge. And I'm particularly interested in something we haven't talked about yet, which is vitamin K. And it's something I started working on back when I was training as a rheumatology fellow. My first research in, in, in joint tissues was actually looking at proteins that are called vitamin K-dependent proteins. And people are more aware of the role of vitamin K in blood clotting um, because it's necessary for, for blood clotting. But there are a number of different proteins in bone, cartilage, and other tissues around the joint that also require vitamin K. And it's been shown that a large number of people, not just in the U.S., but, but across the planet, are probably not taking in enough vitamin K for these other tissues. They get plenty of vitamin K, so they're not having a bleeding problem. But for these other tissues, they may not be taking in sufficient amounts of vitamin K in their diet. And so there's evidence that people with low levels of vitamin K have more disability from their osteoarthritis for physical function. The disease may progress. And we have some animal model data showing vitamin K might be important. So if I had 10, $12 million, which is what it might cost, I'd do a large multi-center trial to really determine whether or not supplementing with vitamin K could be of any benefit. We talked about supplements, and I don't feel like people just need to go out and start taking supplements. If you're already getting enough vitamin K, it's not probably going to help. It's those that are insufficient in the level of vitamin K or in their diet that it might be of benefit. And I'd love to find out if that's true or not. I mean, if someone were particularly interested, is that something they can test for? And what, what are the dietary sources? Well, the dietary sources are, in particular, green leafy vegetables are a really good source of vitamin K. So if you're eating a healthy plant-based diet, you're probably getting plenty of vitamin K, but lots of people aren't doing that these days. And so, you know, I think that in terms of testing, that's one of the barriers right now. It's not routinely tested for. So you can't just go to your doctor's office and say, I want to test my vitamin K level like you can vitamin D, for example. So there aren't a lot of labs that, that can measure different forms of vitamin K. And so it's more of a research tool right now. I think that, you know, if we show how important vitamin K might be for the joint tissues and osteoarthritis, then the test might be um, made, you know, more widely available so that people could see if their levels are, are low or not. I, I wish you success in uh, finding the funding and getting, getting that done. Well, thanks. What's the most important thing you've learned in your life? Uh, big global question. You know, I think staying positive, I think, is probably the most important thing. As, as you know, as well, from being a researcher, you have a lot of failures, mistakes, things that don't work out along the way. Uh, it's almost like when you start playing golf. I don't know if you're a golfer or people listening might be golfers. You know, when you start playing golf, you hit the ball and it goes all over the place. And then you hit one shot where it's just perfect shot, several hundred yards, and you're very happy with that. And you can kind of forget all of the shots that went into the woods or into the pond. And research is a lot like that. And so I think you have to stay positive, look for the successes, and, and try to you know look past the failures if you're going to be successful I think not just in, in research, but I think it applies to lots of things in our lives. 
Well, if it's any consolation, you've always seemed incredibly positive and optimistic to me, Rich. So it seems like something that you've got happening pervasively. So well done. Well, um, now, if listeners specifically wanted to learn a little bit more about the work that you do or connect with you online, how might they do that? Well, we do have a website at our arthritis foundation. Um, I mean, at our arthritis center. It's the Thurston Arthritis Research Center. And so that's the best way to connect with me through our website. I am not a social media person. So I'm one of the last people on the planet Earth who doesn't do Facebook. <laughs> you and I together, Rich. You and I together. Yeah. And I know you're a Twitter fan, but currently I'm not on Twitter either. So it's probably more difficult to catch up with me than, than other people, but the people that really want to contact me can do it through our, our website. My email address is on there, and that's that's the best way to, to get in touch. Fantastic. Thanks, Richard. And just in closing, if, if you had a billboard with anything on it, and it could say whatever you wanted, what would it say and why? Well, I think I... I answered it. Really, I would have the billboard, what I was talking about. I would say, keep active and stay positive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. keep it short and sweet. Yeah, no, that's that's brilliant. Richard, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate you coming on board. And I think it's hopefully very helpful information to everybody who's out there. You're welcome. And I enjoyed talking to you. And so that's all for this episode of Joint Action. Between now and next time, please do take care of yourself. Stay strong and stay active. And thank you very much for listening. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and family. And please leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 